Thank you, Caitlin, for being courageous, vulnerable, and authentic in telling us how you are really doing. We're in the third week of our series, How Are You Really? As a society, we're experiencing tragic and traumatic events that are having a cumulative effect on us as individuals, on our loved ones, on our community. And we're being impacted by what we're seeing and experiencing. And we have choices that we can make that will determine what kind of hope we'll have in our lives. That's why we're asking you the question, how are you doing? Are you looking for a quick fix? Are you trying to white knuckle it on your own? Or is there a better alternative? Is there hope for a better way forward? Does God have anything to say for us today in the midst of all the things that we're experiencing? Can he offer hope for our finances? Can we find him in the midst of grief and loss? These are two areas that we've already covered in our series, and you can find those messages on our website. And today we're asking that same question as it pertains to our mental health. God, is there hope in our confusion? Is there hope in the stress? Is there hope in my anguish and darkness? Is there hope when I've just had enough, Lord? Friends, let me start by saying God absolutely cares. Not only about our spiritual and physical well-being, He equally cares about our mental and emotional well-being. In her story, Caitlin referenced the biblical character of Elijah in the Bible's Old Testament. Elijah's story is just one of many stories in the Bible where God engages people who are in mental distress. There are many others, some names that you might have heard before, people like Moses, King David, Jonah, the Apostle Paul, all people who came to very dark places of despair in their lives where they wanted to die instead of keep living. Friends, God has always cared for our mental well-being. He's never been silent on the matter. He's never held a stigma when it comes to mental health. God, who created us, knows better than anyone that we are a beautiful blend of spiritual, physical, and mental beings. That's how he created us. And when he interacts with us, when he cares for us and restores hope within us, he does so in ways that touch all the various aspects of our being. As one who personally lives with mental illness, I know this to be true. I, like Caitlin, am a living example. And today, Elijah is our biblical example of God's care and hope. If you have your Bible or an app, join me in the book of 1 Kings chapter 19. You'll find it in the Old Testament of the Bible. Elijah was an Old Testament prophet who God was using in powerful and miraculous ways. The last thing that we might expect in his great prophetic career is a mental breakdown. And then on top of that, for that moment, that vulnerable moment in his life to be publicly recorded for all the future generations to read about. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah has just finished an incredible encounter with King Ahab, with his wife Jezebel and the false prophets of Baal. Elijah faced down an entire defiant nation. He personally destroyed 450 false prophets of Baal, and he prayed on a cloudless day, a beautiful sunny day, that rain would fall and 
lo and behold, torrents of rain fell from the sky. He also even raced a chariot. He being on foot and the chariot being pulled by horses, he raced that chariot and he won. You'd think that Elijah would be standing with unshakable confidence and faith on the heels of moments like that. But this is what we read in 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1. After all those amazing events, King Ahab got home. He told his wife Jezebel everything that Elijah had done, including the way that he had killed all the prophets of Baal, those 450 prophets who were working for Jezebel. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. This is the same Elijah who had done all those miraculous things the previous days. He fled for his life. He went to Beersheba in a town of Judah, in a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. This is his prayer. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. Elijah was a heroic and prophetic leader, without question. But friends, when we read his words, it gives us pause. Our hearts ache for Elijah. He's just a human being, and he's subject to the same human limitations and condition that all of us are. We ache with his words because we have all visited that same place, that lonely place of isolation and despair under that tree. And some of us have also yearned for God to release us from this world. Elijah was suicidal. And no one should be shocked, threatened, or disappointed to read his words, to read his honest, vulnerable words, God, please kill me. Created by God, physical, spiritual, mental, just like us, Elijah expresses that he has reached his human limitations. And here are some of the things that cumulatively brought him to that place of saying, enough, Lord, I've had enough. I need to tap out. I want to tap out. First, Elijah wasn't thinking clearly. He wasn't thinking accurately anymore. His perspective of reality shifted. When Jezebel threatened his life, Elijah didn't consider the human source, and he definitely didn't consult God for a solution. Second, Elijah was caught in the aftermath of great achievements. Great lows often come on the heels of great highs because extremes in our life are very vulnerable places. They're draining times. Elijah was physically, emotionally spent. Third, Elijah also isolated himself from supportive relationships. Friends, depression feeds on isolation and loneliness. And if you remember in the verses we just read, Elijah walked with his servant and then he dropped his servant off in the town and he went another day by himself into the wilderness. He left his relationships, his his friend behind and isolated himself. And then lastly, Elijah succumbed 
to self-pity. He compared himself to his ancestors. He set a standard for himself that God had not set, that God didn't call him to. And when he played that comparison game, he beat himself up. All these things, stacking, combining, became too much for Elijah. And friends, I am so thankful that this story is recorded in the Bible. I'm so thankful that God took the time to paint a picture of this person, this leader, brokenness and all. Because God doesn't ignore our weaknesses. He doesn't turn away or hide when we fail. But friends, he also doesn't put his paintbrush down and say, that's it. There's nothing else I can do for this Elijah guy. There's nothing else I can do for Caitlin or for Wally or for you. And when others step in and have all sorts of fixes and pat answers, God has a beautifully different way of engaging with us. Instead of rebuking Elijah, instead of commanding him to get busy or loading guilt on him or shaming his tender emotions, God gently engages Elijah. He slowly reorients him and he carefully sets him back on his feet. God is with Elijah in the depression as it sets in, as it progresses to life-threatening places, and then God cares for him in that. And here are the ways that God does that. God did that for Elijah. First, God tends to Elijah's physical needs by providing rest and replenishment. Look at verse 5. Then Elijah lay down and slept under the tree. And as he was sleeping, an angel of the Lord touched him and said, Elijah, get up and eat. Elijah looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar full of water. And so he ate and he drank and he lay down and he went back to sleep. A little while later, the angel of the Lord comes again and touches him and says, get up and eat some more or the journey that's ahead of you is going to be too much for you. So Elijah gets up again. He eats and drinks the food given to him and it gives him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And there in verse 9, it says he came to a cave and he spent the night. He went and rested some more. It's beautiful. It's amazing to see how God understands our physical needs. He never expects us to be superhuman. He actually expects us to rest and to replenish ourselves. That's the first way that God took care of Elijah. The second is that God cared for Elijah by wisely communicating with him. Notice in the verses coming up that he doesn't give him a command. He doesn't give him some insightful piece of wisdom. Instead, God, the God who knows everything about us, takes the posture of a listener asking Elijah a question and thereby opening up the relational communication lines. Elijah's in the cave, verse 9. The Lord said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He opens up that line of communication. Verse 10, Elijah replied, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars, God. They've killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. In other words, Elijah's saying, God, it's all on me. It's all on my shoulders, and it's too much. 
Verse 11, God says, go out and stand before me on the mountain. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose on the mountain, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and he went out and he stood at the entrance of the cave. Listen to that conversation. Reflect on that conversation. God doesn't contradict Elijah. He doesn't straighten him out. There's no lecture. There's no object lesson. There's no kick in the pants. Knowing that Elijah is depressed and lonely, feeling unloved, God turns, he reorients Elijah's eyes towards him because he's the God of love. And he does it with a gentle whisper. Elijah is still wrestling, deep in his feelings, still in his mind, still going over all that he's experienced and where he's at. God doesn't get exasperated with him. Instead, he gives him a glimpse of a future that reassures Elijah that God still has a place and a purpose for him. God knows that Elijah is still in that place, in those deep feelings, in his mind. And so he repeats his question. He says, it says, the scripture says, a voice said to him again, what are you doing here, Elijah? Talk to me. And Elijah replies verbatim. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty. Didn't you hear me the first time? But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars. They've killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, God. And now they're trying to kill me too. And then the Lord replies to him, Elijah, I want you to go back the same way that you came. Travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, anoint Hazel to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehus, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Ebel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. In other words, Elijah, I've still got work for you to do. You are still significant. And then God says, and anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu. And those who escape from Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I, God, will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. You see, only after affirming Elijah, reminding him of his value and his significance, does God actually then gently correct him in verse 18 with an accurate accounting. Actually, Elijah, he says, it's not all on you. You're not the only one left. There's more in your community. And foremost in those 7,000 other people that God mentions in verse 18 is one person who God chooses to be Elijah's kindred spirit. And this is how God thirdly cares for Elijah by giving him Elisha. So Elijah went, verse 19, and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across the shoulders and went 
and then walked away. This was the, the tradition at the time by a prophet or a, or a priest or a teacher, a rabbi, when he wanted to take someone under his wing and mentor that person to perhaps replace him, he would go and he would throw his cloak, he would lay his cloak over him and that would signal to the person, this is your invitation to come and follow and learn under me. Verse 20, Elisha left the oxen standing there. He ran after Elijah and he said to him, I get what you're doing. First, let me go and kiss my father and my mother goodbye, and then I'll follow you. Elijah replied, go on back, but think about what I've done to you. In other words, Elisha, this isn't going to be as easy or as great as you might think. I know I've been there. Verse 21, so Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast the meat. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assistant. Wow. Elijah, depleted, suicidal, finds rest and replenishment, communion, counsel with God, and then he's given a friend who's going to be by his side. God was with Elijah in the depression, in his hopelessness, and he gently cared for him and restored his hope. He graciously nurtured and refreshed him. He counseled him. He made him feel significant again. And he gave him the support that he needed. It's a story of going from depression and suicide to care and hope. And because God did that for Elijah and for others in the Bible, and because he's doing it today for people like myself, and Caitlin, and others in our faith community who, who live with mental illness, friends, we can say with confidence that God wants to do it for you or for a loved one that you might be caring for who lives with mental illness. At Jericho Ridge, we take our lead from God in supporting mental health and caring for those who live with mental health issues. It's why we have things like our prayer line that you can call 24-7. It's why we have uh, our e-prayer teams that you can access around the clock. It's why we have peer support group called Living Well that meets and, and interacts and aims to support our mental health, both those who are living with and those who are caring for. It's why we work together with and we often refer out to mental health professionals in our community, all because we believe that God has created us as spiritual, physical, and mental beings, and he cares for our whole being. He wants hope to exist in every facet of our being, including our mental well-being. Our worship team is going to lead us in a couple of songs in just a moment. If you're lacking hope today in your mental health, or if you're caring for someone with mental illness, I encourage you to click the prayer button on your screen or call our prayer line 604-629-7805 and tell us, how are you doing, really? Really?